0: have your copy of God's Word this morning, your Bible with you, I invite you to open it to Ephesians chapter 5. I know your bulletin says Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read one verse in Ephesians chapter 5 and then we'll jump to Ephesians chapter 6 in a couple moments. This service is a a little bit of a different service this morning. Uh, My message is a little bit uh, abbreviated this morning. You'll probably notice that uh, at the end of it, not at the beginning. You'll notice that. Uh, at least that's the plan that you'll notice that. Maybe the God does something different, but message is a little bit abbreviated this morning in here because we're going to continue. If you got my email this week, we're going to continue our worship service by taking a tour after the service of the Family Life Center that's under construction. Uh, We were able to do that after the first service and uh, I think a lot of people were amazed at what it looks like behind the wall. I know you've been able to see it going up a lot uh, recently, uh, but you haven't really been able to get a peek inside. And so this morning, we want to give you a peek inside there. And so after the service, concludes in here. We'll ask you to uh, pick up your kids if you have children and then uh, just head over to the Family Life Center, take a walk through there, uh, check out what's going on construction-wise. There's a bunch of markers there and uh, there's a wall we ask the construction crew to leave open uh, for you to write down some prayers of dedication or some scriptures on the walls and things like that. And uh, as we dedicate that structure to the Lord, if you if you've been here a while, you know the journey that we've been through to see that facility come about. And uh, really, it's just another opportunity to praise the Lord, to thank Him for what He is doing and what He's going to do uh, for us. And uh, so please go through there, uh, get a look at what's been happening, and pray a prayer for what God wants to do through us in that. Uh, this um, idea you know, of children, Pastor Brian mentioned it, And if you don't have to be at Mount Hope long to know that families are important to us. And my message this morning is about parents and children as well. We're coming to that part of Ephesians where it talks about the role of a parent and the role of children. I read a quote by Socrates this week that he spoke to the people of Athens. And to summarize, he said something to the effect of, you spend so much time scraping every rock to make a little bit of money and as much money as you can, but you spend so little time investing in your children who are going to inherit everything you ever make. And I thought, what, a, what an incredible perspective, how much time we often spent building up our lives and sometimes how little time we spend investing in the people who will eventually have all of it. Anything you have, we don't get to take it with us when we go, we know that. And in a church, it's the same way. We can spend all of our lives making church about us, but if we don't invest in the next generation, the church of Jesus Christ will be in their hands soon. And so we need to invest in them because they will inherit whatever legacy we leave them. I'm grateful for uh, what... Uh, I have experienced in the men and women that have gone before me, the prayers that have been prayed, the buildings that have been built, the, all of that, all the teaching that, is, you know, that I've received, I want to leave that same legacy for the people that come behind us. So uh, the Family Life Center is just a part of that, so I encourage you take some time to tour that after the service and thank the Lord for what He's been doing. Little Billy was allowed to sit in his father's place at the dinner table when his father was away and absent one, uh, one particular evening. His slightly older sister kind of resented it a bit knowing that she was older. She felt like she should sit in her dad's uh, seat. So she tried to get at little Billy and she said, so you're the father tonight, huh? And she said to him, well tell me what's Five times seven. And little Billy, without missing a moment, uh, looked at her and said, I'm busy, ask your mother. Uh, It's amazing what kids pick up on. Uh, The roles in families is what I want to talk about this morning. Last week, we talked about the role of husband and wives. Uh, This week, I want to talk about the roles of parents and children. On a more serious note, one father wrote this. He said, looking back, if I had to do it all over again, he said, I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at our mistakes and our joys. I would listen more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection." I would pray differently for my family. I would pray less for them and more for me. I would encourage them more and bestow more praise. I would pay more attention to little things like deeds and words of thoughtfulness. And then finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share God more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use it to direct them to God. The kind of legacy we leave. I recognize that in a service this morning, not everyone is parents, not everyone has kids, not everyone is married, but I also recognize that when Paul originally wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus, not everyone was parents in that audience either. It's important for us in the body of Christ, whether you have children or not, to understand a Christian household. And what the scripture has to say about parents and children and husbands and wives. So hopefully, whether you have children or not, I pray the Lord ministers to you this morning. And maybe it'll be by the fact that all of these principles, husbands and wives, children and parents, are all governed by this one principle in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. And if you have your Bible... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 begins this whole section about parenting and husbands and wives. And it says this I want us to read this together. Uh, Let's do this together. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's do it once more together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Thank you for submitting to me and reading that. Together, we're already putting this in practice. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This guides this whole section. What Paul does is he said, look, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, then you're called to love. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then one of the things you're called to is love. Love of God, first of all, and then love of other people. Jesus said this. When someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, But the second commandment is like it love your neighbor as yourself. What I'd like to uh, present to you this morning is that you cannot love without submission that I cannot love, that we cannot love without some aspect of submission of our will. You have to submit. You have to give something up of yourself. Submit it to someone else or submit it to God if you're going to love. If I say that I love God and I never submit my will to Him, you would be right to question whether I really love God. If I said, oh yeah, I love the Lord and then I go from here and I live a life that doesn't reflect anything of the Lord's teaching or instruction, I think you'd be absolutely right to ask me, do you really love God? Because love always involves some aspect of submission. If I say that I love my wife, but I'm always doing what I want. I'm always buying what I want. I'm always focused on myself. I'd never submit my will, my finances, my energy, my time to anything that she wants. I think you would be totally right to ask me, do you really love your wife? Because love is not about words. Love always involves submission. You and I can say that we love our neighbors. But if I'm always... On the go and I never take time to get to know my neighbor I never offer help when they need it I never will submit my time and my schedule to their needs do I really love them I think this love and submission thing always goes together I cannot truly love someone if I will not at some point submit my will my time my energy to them, if I won't sacrifice it for them. So Paul says, okay, you are called to love one another, but he just puts it kind of a different way. You are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's what love is it's submission to one another. And what he anticipates, I believe, is okay, there are some places in life where it doesn't seem like mutual submission works. And that exists in places where there are clear authority structures set up. It, To give you an example, you might work in a factory. And it's clear that the factory worker on the assembly line has to submit to, say, the CEO of the company or the chairman of the board. But what Paul is saying is, if you're both Christians, then somehow the chairman of the board and the CEO also has to live in mutual submission to the assembly line worker in the factory. In the Christian life, and in the Christian household, there is mutual submission. It's not, lo- it's not lopsided one another. There is mutual submission. So he takes on three of the places in life in his society that people would probably raise the biggest arguments of submission, mutual submission. One we talked about last week, husbands and wives. In the first century where Paul lives, many times wives were considered really property of their husbands. They weren't treated with respect in any way. And so a wife submitting to her husband, well, that would have been normal in that society. But a husband submitting his will and loving his wife the way Christ has loved the church, that was radical. That was a radical call to love and mutual submission that would not have existed in Paul's day. And next week, we'll talk about masters and servants Uh, certainly most people say, yeah, the servant has to submit to the master. But Paul says, no, 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 no. The master, if you're a Christian, there's mutual submission. You've got a responsibility to the servant. But this week we're talking about parents and children. And this might be another place where some people say, wait a second, children have to obey parents. That's the rule. It's in the top 10. It made the top 10. It's a big one. Children need to obey Parents. It actually says, children, honor your parents in that one. But children need to obey and submit to parents. We all know that. Paul, in this passage, I believe, is saying, yes, true. But parents have a responsibility to their children as well. And in Paul's day, even more than our day, let me just give you an idea of how radical a statement he was making to even say that parents have some responsibility, obligation to mutually submit to their children. Here is a letter from first century B.C., a little bit before Paul's time. First century, uh, first, I'm sorry, not first century, 1 B.C., the year 1 B.C., a little bit before Paul's time. It's a letter from a man named Hilarion to his wife, Alice, and this is, this is what it says. Hilarion to Alyssa's wife, heartiest greetings. Know that we are still, even now, in Alexandria. Uh, Do not worry if when others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, I will send them to you. If, good luck to you, you have another child, if it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, expose it. And exposure, if you're not familiar with that term in the first century, was basically if you didn't want the baby, you just put it outside to die. And this is the society, Paul, not everyone lived that way, but this was pretty well understood in Roman society in the first century that the husband, the father had so much control over the household that even had control of life and death of the children. So what they, could, what they would do, we in, in our day and age, in our society in Massachusetts, we have something called the safe haven law, where if someone doesn't want uh, or there's an unwanted child, there's hospitals and places where you can drop a child off so that the child may live and be cared for uh, rather than doing something harmful or drastic to the child. We've got a safe haven law. What they would do in, in Roman times, what they would do in the first century, they could drop the child off at the forum in the daytime and what would happen at night is usually someone would come and pick up the child. And the boys, they would turn into slaves and the girls, they would turn into prostitutes. And this is the society that Paul is writing into. I say that to say that when he, when, when the Bible talks about parents having responsibilities to children, it's a radical call to mutual submission that didn't really exist in that world. We all would say children need to obey parents. Every society that has ever lived on earth agreed that children are supposed to obey parents. There's been arguments about the age that a child becomes an adult, but for little children, every society that's ever existed on earth believes that children obey parents. But Paul then writes, yes, but you parents also have responsibilities to your children. Let's look at it. Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. Paul writes this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. That would have been understandable and expected. But then listen to these next, this next verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or in your translation, it may say, do not provoke your children to anger. And to us, that may sound like, that's no big deal, I think I can keep that. To them, it was a restriction of their freedom and rights that was almost unheard of. Fathers were law, and they could do whatever they wanted with their kids. And Paul says, no, when you're a Christian and you live in mutual submission... Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And we'll talk a little bit about what that means uh, in, in a moment. What I want to do this morning is, if we, as we look at just this verse, verse 1, uh, ver, I'm sorry, verse 4, there's two things, I think, that are in here. One is there's something fathers and parents sometimes need to repent of. I don't know about you, but there have been times where I have provoked my children to anger. I'm not happy to admit it. I don't. I think that's. But I got to be honest. There are times we know how to push the buttons, don't we? You know how to push someone's buttons. You know when you have not well thought out and prayerfully considered something before you say it to your kids and you have at times provoked them to anger. So I wanna talk in a, just for a few minutes about what it means to provoke your children to anger and some things we parents may need to repent of. And then I wanna talk about two things that we need to commit to as parents as well. I think the temptation is parents in Paul's day and in our day is say, look, I'm the dad. And it, because I said so. You know, you, you don't like it, forget it. You know, this is my house, my roof, this is my rules. And the temptation, what that, what's communicated is, hey, you're resp- if you get angry, if you get upset, you're responsible, I'm not responsible for your actions. Look, this is the way it is, and that's it. Where Paul says, no, you have some responsibility to not provoke your children to anger. You have some responsibility over their emotion. You have some responsibility when you intentionally push their buttons and provoke them to anger. See, we're not supposed to provoke each other to anger. We're supposed to provoke each other to good works and call each other out to a high calling of living. So he says, don't provoke your children to anger. So let me just talk about a few things that maybe are ways that we provoke children to anger. Maybe these don't apply to you, but as I read them, I thought I could see sometimes in my life where they come up. Unreasonable expectations could provoke our children to anger, right? When we expect little Johnny and little Susie You know, we put the bar up to a perfect level and when they don't hit it or when they knock the bar, when they don't clear that bar, you know, we expect little kids to act like adults. Now, there are adult kids who need to start acting like adults. I will put that out there. But when we at times have children that... uh, that the fact that they don't know something or aren't able to do something and, th- and they get, uh, you know, they're, they're not allowed to grow, they're not allowed to learn, they're, not, they're expected to act like it does be put unreasonable at times expectations on them, that we could be provoking them at times to anger. At least I know that's sometimes the case with me. A second one, constantly fi- fault-finding. Constant fault-finding. And as I'm saying this, Like I said, not everyone's parents, but uh, one thing I'm fairly confident is we're all children um, of somebody. You all had parents at some point, someplace, at some point in your life, uh, biological, adoptive, some kind of guardian, some kind of influence, somebody, even if it was grandparents or aunts and uncles. We all had people in our lives that influenced us. As we go through this list, maybe you're going through it and saying, yep, that was done to me. The challenge is to look at it and say, okay, we have to be careful not to pass this on to the next generation. Constant fault finding. Four A's and a B, what happened? Oh, it's so tempting to do that, isn't it? We overlook those four A's and we just say, what happened in math class? What happened in English class? We set, we constant fault finding constant fault finding, and we're constantly trying to pick our kids apart, and we're constantly trying to find fault in them, and do we at times provoke provoke them to anger? It's hard enough for us as adults to live in a world where we feel like we're always trying to please people, isn't it? To put that on the next generation, and to put that on our children, constantly finding fault in them is a way I think that sometimes can provoke them to Anger as well. Another one, neglect. Too busy for you. Don't have any time. So we neglect the children. I think God designed children in a certain way that for a a, a window of their life, they want and desire to be around their parents or adults. And then there's a window of life and every parent of a teenager said amen when they don't want to be. Around their parents and adults but you have that window I don't know how many years it is I don't know how long it lasts but I feel like there's this window where they want to learn they want to be around you they want you to teach them and if we miss that window if we say I don't have time I'll get to it later I'll get to it tomorrow and if we miss that window sometimes we miss the window and it's not open again at another time in their life and later in their life, when they're older and we want to spend time with them, could it be that they just, they just act out what they learned and they don't want to be around us and they don't have time for us? You get a window there. And neglect can provoke children. I think that's a way that provokes children to anger. Another one was smothering. Um, contrary to the latest Taco Bell commercial, I don't think that smothering is a good thing. Uh, Taco Bell has this smothered burrito and they have a funny commercial with a, with a mom that's hovering over her adult son and, and smothering him with affection. I don't think that that's helpful. Uh, this helicopter parent dynamic, this over protectiveness that we have in our world, I think can at times provoke our children to anger. And we have to be careful about, about that, not letting them feel the consequences of their actions. Another one is favoritism favoritism. You don't have to read long in the Bible before you see an example of this one. Isaac and uh, Jacob and Esau and showing favoritism in the family and it never works out good. But we say things like, why can't you be more like your sister? Why can't you be more like your brother? Or when your sister was your age or when your brother was your age, we show favoritism. Some of you were in a family where the parents maybe favored one of your siblings over you. And you know what that feels like and the anger that that could bring about. Showing favoritism can provoke your children to wrath. As someone said to me this week, and I think, it's a, I think it's a true statement. I think it's a good way to look at it. Being fair doesn't always mean being equal. You know, being fair, sometimes we think everything's got to be equal with our children. Being fair doesn't always mean being equal. Being fair means that everyone has what they need to succeed. And I thought that was a great way to put it. You know, fairness doesn't always mean equal. Fairness means everyone has what they need to succeed. But when we favor one over another, we can provoke our children to anger. Inconsistency. Inconsistency. So we say we're going to do something and we don't follow through. Even discipline. Maybe especially discipline. Discipline. Say you're going to do something, and we say, ah, never mind. I changed my mind. We don't follow through. Kids need the consistent structure in their life to rely on. And if we make a promise, parents, I know circumstances change. I know things change. Sometimes kids don't understand that as much. So we make a promise, and unless extreme circumstances come about, we do our best to to keep the promise. That's a hard one for me at times sometimes because I will... You know, there'll be times, you know, if you do that, you're never watching TV again. I'm like, how am I ever going to follow through on that? I'm like, that's... So I'm trying to train myself not to make the statement (laughs) that I can't follow through on. But inconsistency, you know, inconsistency can really provoke children. You said this. You promised. You said. And so... The last one, this one almost goes without saying, but that's probably the reason it needs to be said. Physical and or emotional abuse, right? Kids are not there. Kids are not there to receive the words that you couldn't say to the person at work. Kids are not there to receive the anger that you could not express to someone else in your life so the kids end up being the brunt of it or receive it. You talk about provoking your children to anger. We, sow what, we reap what we sow, and if we sow anger and bitterness into our children, we shouldn't be surprised if we reap anger and bitterness from our children at some point. Physical and emotional abuse are ways that we provoke children to anger. And so Paul says, don't do that. And if those are things in, in our lives or in your life, in my life, I look down that list and there's a couple of them I can look at and say, God, I need to... There are times in my life that that is such a temptation for me because in that moment, I don't think it through. I don't pray it through. I don't want to provoke my children to anger. I have a responsibility to them. I live in mutual submission. To, just because they're younger and smaller than me right now doesn't mean they are any less important of a soul and a person and created by God. And that land at Calvary is level. And even though they may be smaller than me now, that's all the greater responsibility I have to them. Because they're so Dependent. So the perspective needs to be one of mutual submission, even with a child and a parent. And so the last part of the verse, Paul says, bring them up, training and instruction in the Lord. And so to commit to two things, one is purposeful discipline, purposeful discipline. There's a difference between discipline and punishment, right? There's a difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline has a direction towards it, Punishment is punitive and is simply just consequences that may have no connection at all to what actually was done. So we're called to discipline, to guide. When we talk about making disciples, what's a disciple except a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ? That's a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. So when we discipline children, and children need that, Children need discipline. I feel like I need to say that in our world and our society because I think we sometimes live in a world that would rather be best friends than parents to children. And children don't need friends. They have plenty of friends. What they don't have is someone in their life who will be a parent and discipline and guide and lead them towards all that God is calling them to. They will have other people that can be their friends. You are the only one that can be their parent their grandparent, their guardian, whatever role you may have in their life. But we think, well, we don't want to hurt them. We don't want to, you know, but kids know, at least I've found, I feel like kids know when they've done something wrong and they expect the discipline. When they, it's when they don't receive the discipline that it throws the world off balance. Wait a second. I'm supposed to receive some kind of correction here. Now, there are times certainly with my kids that I'll, I'll, I'll use it as an opportunity to exhibit grace and say, you know what? This is grace. You are supposed to get this, but you're not going to. And this is grace. And certainly there's opportunities to, to, uh, to allow kids to experience that. But purposeful discipline. What are you discipling? What are you disciplining towards? And purposeful discipline always works to maintain the relationship, the relationship with God and the relationship with each other. Punitive punishment severs the relationship. That's what prisons are. Prisons are full of punitive punishment. As far as I know, I've never been on the other side of the bars, but I, from what I understand, the relationship between the ones that are in there and the ones who are watching over them, they're in there, aren't always great. There isn't a real relationship between the C.O.s, the correction officers, and the inmates. There's no need for one. It's punitive punishment, but purposeful discipline means there has to be relationship. You've got to maintain that relationship with your child. And so there's forgiveness that may need to be, or or, or repentance that need to be asked for from God, and repentance that may need to be asked for in relationship with one another. Purposeful discipline. And positive instruction. Positive instruction. Paul says instruct them in the ways of God. Nurture them. Call them up. To everything that God wants them to be. Some schools, and some of you may be familiar with this, they have something for kids called an IEP, um, uh, an individual education plan, right? Uh, where some, they'll get an IEP, a teacher will take a, a student and say, learn how they learn, learn what they need to succeed, and their teachers, never want to put together a whole plan to help that student succeed. And I thought, man, every parent ought to have an IEP for their, stu- for their kids, for every one of their kids, because every child is different. How does this child learn? How does this child receive love? How does this child uh, respond to God? How does this child respond to discipline and to have like an individual plan for each of the children so that they can have what they need to succeed? Positive instruction. Our kids will get enough tearing down in the world but will they get positive instruction at home from their parents calling them to be all that God has created them to be? Calling them to be the possible world changers that God has created them to be? To hold out a vision, do you have a vision? If you're a parent, do you have a vision for each of your children that you hope that they become? Just just a vision, not they're gonna be a lawyer, a doctor, not that, what kind of character do you want them to become? Uh, what kind of uh, things do you want them to exhibit in their life? You want them to be graceful people or selfish people? You want them to be uh, whatever it might be. Do you have this, this vision out there for your child that you're, you're directing them into? Paul says, you know, training and instruction to bring them up in the Lord. And so there's things that we may need to repent of that we have provoked our children to wrath, and there's also things that we need to commit to as parents to bring up your children in the Lord. And I I want to really close us out today and really conclude this message with the idea that there are four, I think, responses to this passage. The first have to do with parents. The second, you don't have to be parents to respond to. The first two is maybe you're a parent in here, and you would say... I have at times exasperated my children intentionally, not intentionally. I have provoked them to anger. I have disciplined out of anger and not out of love. I have, I have neglected. I have found fault in them. I have, I have projected myself upon them and tried to hold them to expectations that were unreasonable for kids their age. I have provoked them to anger. And maybe this morning you would say, there are things I need to turn away from, repent of, and just get right with God and say, God, forgive me and help me to be more the father, the mother that you are calling me to be. Maybe that's the response for you this morning. The second response, maybe, this is Second part of the message. Perhaps you need to commit to more purposeful discipline and positive instruction for your kids in your life and you need to commit to uh, not just punitively punishing but purposefully disciplining, guiding them into the, the vision that, uh, that you desire them to be and that God desires them to be. But the third, you don't have to be a parent to respond to I said we're all in here and we've all experienced some influence in our life whether it was a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, whoever was your guardian as a child. Maybe you were the one on the other end of it. Maybe you were provoked to anger. Maybe you were abused. Maybe you were um, held to a standard that there's no way you could hit. Maybe you lived under this perfection and fault finding and maybe there's been a resentment in your life because of it. And maybe your response this morning is to forgive, is to offer forgiveness. Whether your parents are are alive or, or, or not alive, maybe there's something you still hold in your heart against them. And perhaps you need to this morning, as God has forgiven you, offer forgiveness and just ask and, and, and just say, I forgive you. I forgive my mom, my dad. Because the truth is, even though Paul calls us to this, we are fallen, sinful people who often miss the mark. And as much as we as children... At first we grow up and we think our parents are so perfect and they don't do anything wrong. It doesn't take long to realize that our parents were sinners too and they fell and they missed the mark at times and maybe they missed the mark when they were parenting you, when they were guiding you and perhaps this morning maybe it's an opportunity to just say offer forgiveness and not hold that bitterness in your heart anymore. The fourth response is maybe you had a wonderful set of parents or a wonderful mom or a wonderful dad who just poured into you and blessed you. And this morning, the fourth response is just thankfulness. Maybe you just would say, thank you, God, for who you put in my life. Thank you. Thank you for my mom or my dad or my grandparent or that one that invested in me, that one that took you to church for the first time. Maybe that one that prayed for you. Maybe that one that just blessed you. Whatever, maybe your response is just thankfulness. Thankfulness. But I think this morning, all of us can come to one of these responses, at least one. Perhaps you need to repent. Perhaps you need to commit. Maybe you need to forgive. Or maybe you just need to be overwhelmed with God's blessing and thank Him for what has been put in your life. We are to live in mutual submission to one another. And one of those places is between parents and children. We don't always do it well. We don't do it perfectly. But let us this morning strive to be the kind of parents and the kind of children Because even though you're adult children, this is another message. I'm not going there today. I've already preached this message. But honor your father and mother, I think lasts your whole life. Obey your father and mother, that lasts to the age when you become adults. But honor your father and mother, I think that one's your whole life. We live that out. So we repent, we commit, we forgive And we offer thanks. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, Lord, even as I say that word, I recognize that you are our heavenly father and only you alone have ever perfectly lived out what it is to be a loving father. What it is to be a loving parent, a loving Uh, one that watches over children. You alone have perfectly lived that out, and the rest of us just strive and have fallen short. But, Father, we fall upon your grace this morning. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning, and I ask that you would just work on our hearts, Lord, and have your Holy Spirit speak to us, Lord, as we come to you with prayerful hearts. And in this moment, I just want to pause in the prayer and just give you some sacred space here for a moment. First, mom, dad, grandparent, grandma, granddad, let me just give you some sacred space for a moment. Maybe there's something that you need to repent of in this moment. I know you're not perfect. You know you're not perfect. We're not called to be perfect, but we're called to strive for what God calls us to. And if there's times in your life where you would say, yeah, I've provoked my children to anger, it may be that after this service, you go to your son and your daughter and you ask them to forgive you. And I think that would be a very appropriate response. But in this moment, it's just you and God. I give you that space to just say, God, forgive me and help me not to provoke my children to anger. Help me to love my children the way you love me. Or maybe this sacred space god help me to be more purposeful in my discipline not to discipline out of anger help me to be more positive in my instruction to my children mom dad maybe this is your time just to let the holy spirit speak to you and just pray those words and then son daughter someone has hurt you in the past and your parents were not, <laughs> to say they were less than ideal, maybe putting it lightly. Maybe you were abused. And I'm not putting that lightly at all. I'm not saying that's easy to work through and by no means. But I do know that God can give you the power and the strength to offer your forgiveness to them doesn't make what they did right, it doesn't mean you condone it, it doesn't mean you're okay with it, it doesn't mean you approve of it, it doesn't mean the relationship is immediately fixed and repaired, it simply is a commitment in your heart not to hold the bitterness against them anymore and to offer forgiveness to them really set yourself free more than it sets them free or son, daughter, maybe you've never said thank you. Thank you, Mom, Dad. Thank you for the way you've invested in me. Thank you for striving to be the parents that I know you wanted to be. And thank you, God, for putting them in my life. So let me just give you just a moment of sacred space to have that time with God. Lord, we lift up your name this morning. Father, we honor you and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that we fall upon when we fall short. Lord, I pray for those who have repented today that you would help them to go from this place and live life and parent a different way. Lord, for those who have forgiven, set them free. For those who have made commitments, give them the strength to do it. And for those... Who have experienced so much blessing maybe they've forgotten all the blessing they received earlier in their life would you overwhelm us with a reminder of what you have done for us Lord through others around us we're grateful for it and may we be a church whether we're parents or teachers or leaders or just someone who has a conversation in the hallway with a youth or a child, may we be the church that invests in the next generation and sees them grow up to love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. In Jesus' name we pray.